Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, today we're going to talk about an ex extraordinary incident that happened in 1975 in Mexico. Uh, it's re with regards to a pilot who was flying a single-engine plane by himself uh, and then suddenly found himself being escorted by three flying saucers, which, which were uh, flying very close to his craft. Basically, uh, one saucer was on the left, over the left wing, another saucer was over the right wing, and another saucer was underneath the plane, uh, pretty much bumping into it. Uh, and basically, it was causing the plane to go higher up in the sky. And this this is one of the best UFO stories you'll ever hear. Now, I, I've heard this story a long time ago. I've read about it uh, numerous times. It's been mentioned on uh, numerous different documentaries you'll find on cable TV over the years. And I've always wanted to do an, uh, a podcast about this. And uh, today, I'm finally going to get into it. And I, I dug up some info. I've been digging up some information on it. And I found a... Uh, a great uh, source and I will leave this source in the description because there's no way I can get into all of it it's, it's filled with articles about this incident so I mean some of the articles were, are written in Spanish but then there's uh, translations of them and then there's other articles that appeared in different UFO publications over the years uh, it's very in interesting stuff and, and the story is just it has everything it's just one of those stories that has everything but before we get into that, I just want to, uh, I have to make a correction on something. I had received, uh, on for, for my previous podcast, uh, uh, Stephen Greer to reveal definitive evidence of black budget UFO operations. I received a comment from Kyle James Meller, who stated that, uh, he says, I, I need to correct something that I said in that podcast uh, with regard to the aerial school incident. Uh, he says, aerial school children weren't warned of technology going out of control. The warning was about destruction. I deleted my previous comment to write this. Please do not spread wrong information. Well, I'm sorry if I did that. Uh, I, I didn't mean to spread any wrong information. I must have misspoke. I just want to point out, uh, of course, uh, the, the message, a lot of the images that were uh, there was a handful of kids that uh, there was an actual this with the aerial school incident. There were, of course, over 60 school children that had uh, witnessed a flying saucer land near their school while, while and they were out on a uh, recess at the time. And over 60 kids witnessed this, and a handful of these kids actually were uh, in com uh, telepathic communication uh, from one of these alien beings. There were two alien beings that were seen, and one of them was communicating telepathically with some of these children, and some of these children had images of destruction uh, sent into their minds. Uh, and I just want to point out, though, that uh, some of these kids, th th what they got out of this, there was if you, uh, John Mack, the, the late Harvard uh, psychiatrist who actually went there in 1994, shortly after that incident, went there to interview those kids. Uh, he, one of the little girls that talked to him said, uh, this is a direct quote said, she said, I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get too technologed. Now, technology, of course, isn't a, a real word, but I, I think we could understand what she's what she's saying. She was actually saying that, uh, you know, that, that's why I said that, because technology getting out of control, that's what I get out of that comment. The, the feeling that that little girl got from this extraterrestrial that was communicating telepathically with her was that we mustn't get too technologed. Uh, so and then the, and another little girl had stated that maybe they're telling us the world's going to end. So these were assumptions made by these children on what these messages of destruction in their minds were. So so I'm just trying to correct the record there. Thank you for pointing that out. I really appreciate it, uh, uh, Kyle. So 
thank you very much. But anyway, moving on uh, to this uh, amazing story from 1975. Uh, we're going to go through some different articles here and uh, also talk about it. Uh, I stop every now and get, uh, now and then to talk about uh, what we're reading here. Reading here, it says here, and this is from the APRO Bullet, and APRO, of course, is. Uh, a now defunct uh, UFO organization that stood for the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Uh, they did a lot of uh, investigations in the UFOs back in the day. And there was an article that they had published in August of 1975. Uh, and that headline reads, UFOs escort Mexican aircraft. And we're going to read some of this article and then uh, talk about it too. It says here, on May 2nd, 1975, Carlos Antonio de los Santos Montiel, 23, left Mexico City in his Piper Aztec 24, registered as XB-XAU, for Zahuataneo, state of Guerrero. He arrived there in the afternoon, and although he had originally planned to return that day, he decided to stay over and return on the 3rd. He had dinner at 8 p.m. and retired. The morning of the 3rd was cloudy with considerable smog, mist, and very poor visibility. Carlos took off, nevertheless, at 10.30 without having his breakfast. He climbed his little plane to 13,500 feet, but conditions were still bad, so he climbed to 14,500 feet, where he found a clear blue sky and continued on his return trip to Mexico City. I just want to stop here for a second because... The fact that this guy didn't eat breakfast that morning some, for some reason comes into play on this. Uh, some people suggested early later on that this incident that he was about to have might have been caused because he didn't eat breakfast that day and that might have gave him had, had hallucinations because of that. <laughs> I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, there's how many days uh, people go without breakfast and they, they, go, they, they, they go through their days without having any hallucinations. Uh, anyway, continuing with this. Arriving in the area of Tequesta Quinego, Carlos decided to lose altitude in order to make visual contact with Lake Tequesta Quinego and verify his position instead of depending on his instruments. When he got down underneath the cloud cover, ground mist and fog blocked his view of the lake. Then things began to happen. When he looked from the left, he had been gazing through his left side window, to the front, he became aware of something on his right and glanced in that direction and was shocked to see an object with the appearance of two plates joined together at the rim with a cupola which had what seemed to be a little window and an antenna on top. It was positioned 20 centimeters above the surface of the wing and about one and a half meters from the piper's cabin. A glance back to the left revealed another object of the same description in the same position above the left wing. I was petrified, Carlos told officials later, after I saw a third object which seemed about to collide head-on with the windshield. But it went beneath the aircraft and I heard a strange noise from below as though it had collided with the underside of the plane. Carlos then noted that his airspeed had decreased from 140 nautical miles per hour to 120. He tried to bank to the left in an attempt to bump the object away from his plane, but the controls were frozen and would not move. He then tried to let down the landing gear, hoping to get rid of the object under him, but with no results. 
Aperos field investigator Fernando J. Taliz Pariha listened to the tape-recorded conversation between Santos and the Mexico City International Airport Control Tower, which Carlos initiated after he found his controls were frozen. And then here it has the, uh, again, if you check out all this information, you could actually read the entire transcript of what was being stated back and forth. But the last thing that uh, is on this, the last thing that uh, Carlos said to the tower was, the aircraft is out of control. So gonna, you know, let's just stop there for a second. Imagine <laughs> you're flying this aircraft, you, uh, you know, and all next thing you know, there's three flying saucers right next, right, one on one wing, one on the other wing, and one underneath you. It's just unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, continuing with this, it says, At this point, Mexico City International Airport closed its runways to traffic and prepared for the expected emergency landing. The objects continued maintaining position on XBXAU, exerting complete control over the aircraft. The mayday or emergency call, emergency call was received at 12.15 p.m. on Saturday, May 3rd. The control tower contacted Ignacio Silva Lamora, Carlos's uncle, an authority on aircraft who was put in touch with Carlos via radio to analyze the problem and help with landing preparations. Okay. <laughs> now, I don't know what Carlos's uncle was going to do. How do you analyze the problem? I mean, no, it's not often that somebody comes across a problem like this when you're flying a, a, a single engine plane uh so i don't know <laughs> what carlos's uncle was going to say anyway continuing when carlos had reached the ajusco navigation navigational fix the ufos had elevated the aircraft from 15,000 feet the altitude while over Tequesta quinago to 15,800, and then one by one they left First, the object over his left wing elevated until it was over the cabin then above the object on the right wing and these two flew off and were lost to view in the direction of two nearby volcanoes. The controls of the aircraft were immediately normal and Carlos regained control. Carlos then attempted to lower the landing gear circling Mexico City International Airport eight times in radio contact to ascertain if he was successful. Finally, after 40 minutes of circling while he worked on the control column with a screwdriver, he managed to lower the wheels and landed at 1.34 p.m. on the grassy area between runway 5 right and 5 left where emergency vehicles, including firemen and ambulance, were waiting. After landing, Carlos was taken to the airport clinic where he was thoroughly examined and found to be normal and fit. Some individuals had hinted that he might have been under the influence of drugs or alcohol, but the medical examination laid that speculation to rest. Two days after the incident, Captain Augusto Ramirez Altamirano, chief of inspectors for the region from the Aeronautical Civil Direction, said that Carlos would have to undergo a series of tests to determine if he had really seen the UFOs or if they were an illusion from flying too high without oxygen. On May 7th, Dr. Luis Amizcua, chief of the Aviation Medicine Department of Mexico City International Airport, completed a series of medical tests which included neurological, physical, and psychiatric, etc., and gave his opinion that Carlos had been suffering from low blood sugar because he had not eaten from 8 p.m. the night before until after the incident the next day and inferred that Carlos had hallucinated. So, basically, if you don't eat breakfast, you might have hallucinations that, and you'll see flying saucers. That's what the doctor's inferring here. But unfortunately for the doctor, uh, there was other evidence to support Carlos's claims, and we'll continue and talk about that. 
Uh, says here, field investigator Tellus interviewed the witness and gives us the following insight. Carlos De Los Santos is 23, has been a pilot for two years, has 370 flying hours to his credit, has a private and commercial pilot's license. He is employed by Pelletier SA, a company which specializes in analysis and study of water. His father is chief mechanic of the Mexicana de Evasion Airlines. Carlos neither smokes nor drinks, is not interested in science fiction, and has never read a UFO book. As far as radar confirmation was concerned, Mr. Julio Cesar Interin Diaz, the Mexico City International Airport Terminal Radar Controller, said that the distance from Tequestoconego to Mexico City is 48 nautical miles and that the blip of Carlos's plane was picked up on radar when 43 miles out of Mexico City. Carlos's aircraft was the only one in that sector at that time. The radar registered the separation of another blip, which went in another direction from Carlos's plane, executing a 270-degree turn in a radius of 3 or 4 miles at a speed of 450 to 500 nautical miles per hour. Mr. Intern Diaz said that he did not know of any aircraft which could execute such a maneuver. So let's just stop there for a second. So basically there was radar... uh, blips to to corroborate everything that carlos was telling everybody uh it wasn't a hallucination hallucinations don't include uh radar evidence uh continuing here it says further in-depth investigation is being conducted by an aeronautical engineer with the help of field investigator fernando tellis we should note here that this is mr tellis's first important case and he has done an outstanding job of of investigating and reporting so in addition to the uh testimony from the pilot carlos there was also radar evidence but that's not the end of the story oh no no not by far uh there was more to come and uh we will talk about that uh when we come back okay we are back and we're talking about this incredible case of a pilot in 1975 actually having to deal with uh three flying saucers hovering very close to his aircraft and basically almost causing him to crash it uh, because, I mean, it took him a while to finally, he had a circle, after these UFOs basically start lifting his plane upward uh, almost a thousand feet and then they flew off, uh, he, he was unable for a little while to get the landing gear to come down. He needed a screwdriver to make that happen. So then he finally landed. He, you know, everyone heard this story, but uh, some people were saying, well, uh, it was because he didn't eat breakfast. Well, uh, so that makes it, uh, he's probably uh, was hallucinating. You know, that's what a doctor says. But the unfortunate thing for that doctor is that there was radar evidence. This was, these, these things were captured on radar. So he had the, the, the in addition to the uh, story that Carlos told, there was also the radar evidence to back up everything he said. But the story did not end there. In fact, the story got very strange, even stranger after that. Now, the, the the rest of the story, of course, is very hard to corroborate this. But uh, there's really no reason, I don't think, for this guy to, to make this this the rest of these stories up. Uh, and involves uh, men in black and also a mysterious old man. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Anyway, here was an article that was published in 1980 by UFO uh, investigator Jerome Clark. Uh, he's done a lot of great work over the years. Uh, and this, uh, we're going to pick it up here uh, after he talks about the incident and then uh, how some other pilots had rejected that that 
Carlos was having any sort of hallucination or suffering any sort of medical issue that would have caused him to see these objects. And again, how could he, how could it have been when there was actually radar evidence that showed that these objects, there were other blips on the screen that flew away from his airplane and there was no other aircraft, uh, known aircraft in the sky at that time. But anyway, uh, we'll continue here. It says here, Carlos's sighting and the accompanying radar confirmation caused a sensation in the Mexican press. Even some American newspapers, which customarily pay little attention to events in Mexico, took notice. Carlos de los Santos, a shy, retiring 23-year-old whose sole ambition in life was to become an airline pilot, found himself in the center of considerable media attention. He felt uncomfortable in the limelight and sought without success to resume his private life. He did agree, however, to appear on a television show hosted by Pedro Ferrez, who had shown a sympathetic interest in his story. Ferrez, besides being a prominent Mexi Mexico City television personality, is also a well-known Latin American ufologist. On the day he was to be on the show, about two weeks after the sighting, Carlos left his home in a Mexico City suburb where he lives with his parents and brothers and sisters and headed to the freeway on his way to the studio. He never made it. Carlos, as he would learn in a very few moments, was about to enter the twilight zone once more. The first hint of anything out of the ordinary was the sudden appearance of a huge black Ford Galaxy pulling out in front of him. Carlos thought it looked like a diplomatic car, limousine. Then he glanced at the rearview mirror and observed an identical vehicle immediately behind him. Both cars looked brand new, almost as if being driven for the first time. For some reason, Carlos felt something was curiously wrong about what he was seeing. Yeah, I would bet. You're starting to see that. Your first idea probably going through your head is, well, here we go, the government. But let's continue here. It says, His suspicions were confirmed when the cars started to crowd him dangerously. Incredibly, they seemed to be trying to force him off to the side of the road. Bewildered, Carlos turned off onto the shoulder. He did not even have time to get out of his car before the galaxies pulled over and four tall, broad-shouldered men jumped out. One of the, I, 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 one put his hands on the door of Carlos's automobile, apparently to keep the young man from getting out of it. Speaking Spanish in an oddly mechanical tone, the stranger said, Look, boy, if you value your life and your family's too, don't talk anymore about this sighting of yours. Too stunned to respond, Carlos took note of the four men's appearance. They certainly did not resemble Mexicans, he thought. They looked Scandinavian with unusually pale skin. All were dressed in black suits. Evidently, the one-sentence threat was the extent of the message they wished to deliver. They quickly returned to their cars, which then disappeared in traffic. Now, obviously, here this is a classic men in black scenario. So we have an amazing... Usually this happens in these amazing cases. You hear about men in black showing up, and you wonder, who are these guys? Where did they come from? I mean, are they government agents, or are they something different? Are they aliens? Uh, somehow, somehow that are warning people not to talk about this, or are they government officials telling people not to talk about this? This is, I, I, I think it's probably, I've, ta I've talked about this before. I think it's probably a combination. To me, I don't know what to say about this one. Uh, it could have been uh, people from the government, or maybe from the United States government working with Mexico. I mean, who knows? But these things seem to happen a lot over the over the decades, where these guys show up wearing black suits. They don't. They look funny. They talk funny. They 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 warn people, and then they take off. Nothing usually ever happens, uh, but they scare people into keeping quiet about what happened. And you have to wonder who's responsible, who's doing it, right? 
Is it the government or is it extraterrestrials? I think sometimes it's probably the government and I think sometimes it could be extraterrestrials. But I don't know if we're ever going to know one way or the other for sure. We can only speculate. Anyway, continuing with this article, it says, Who could they have been? Carlos wondered. Gangsters? Government agents? Perhaps they were from the KGB or the CIA. But whoever they were and whomever they represented, they clearly meant business. A decent regard for his own well-being, Carlos decided, required that he turn around and return home, which he did. Two days later, Carlos confided the story to Ferez, who told him he had heard of similar incidents. That was the first time Carlos ever heard of the fabled men in black of UFO lore. Ferez assured him that despite the threat, he would not be harmed. No one else had ever been, and he finally persuaded Carlos to be on his show after all. Carlos appeared, and the interview went off without incident. Yet at about the same time that Carlos supposedly ran afoul of the men in black, an even more peculiar encounter with someone even stranger took place. But Carlos kept this story to himself for some time, perhaps because it was so odd that it seemed to make no sense. Yeah, and it does make, it really doesn't make any sense, but again, this is what he said happened. Uh, again, and this is, there's other people that had this, that what you're about to hear is something that happens to other people sometimes too. It's the, this is not the first person that something like this has happened to. One day while Carlos was at home, his brother came to tell him, came in to tell him that someone wanted to talk with him on the street. Who is it? Carlos asked. I don't know. His brother said, it's an old man. Carlos stepped outside where he saw just next to the front gate, a man who appeared to be in his eighties. He was shabbily dressed. The picture of poverty. Carlos immediately concluded that he was a beggar. Suddenly, the old man said, You are the pilot, Carlos de los Santos Montiel, who had the UFO experience recently. Carlos, somewhat surprised, confirmed that he was, and he invited the old man inside. No, the stranger responded, Your family would not accept me. He then switched the conversation to scientific matters and talked at length on astronomy, mathematics, and related subjects. The man possessed a remarkable grasp of the material. In fact, Whatever his physical appearance may have suggested to the contrary, the poorly dressed visitor sounded like a brilliant scholar. But odd as that was, something even odder occurred in the course of the conversation. Some neighborhood children were playing street soccer and one made a wild kick. The ball flew in the direction of the old man's neck, but it never reached its destination. The old man gestured quickly with his hand and deflected the ball in flight and it fell harmlessly to the ground. He did this without turning around. At no time had he even seen the ball. Finally, the old man asked Carlos if he could give him a lift out to the highway. Carlos agreed and the two drove off in the young man's Volkswagen out along the Toluca Highway. Not sure where his passenger wanted to get off, Carlos suggested one spot, but the old man said rather peculiarly, Carlos thought, no, too many houses here. So instead they went off to an unpopulated area that was practically open country. The old man got out and Carlos returned home much mystified. He had not seen the mysterious state, but he had not seen the mysterious stranger for the last time. So now we're getting really, really weird stuff. So you have a men in black incident and then it's followed up by some strange old guy showing up at his house asking him for a ride, talking about uh, science and mathematics, and the guy's dressed like a beggar. He's eight, in his 80s, asked to get dropped off in the middle of nowhere. A ball gets fl- uh, gets is launched in his direction uh, that kids are playing with, but the guy, the old guy sticks his hand out and the ball goes, just goes dropping. A lot of weird stuff going on here. What's this all about? Anyway, continuing with this incredible story, it says, 
A month later, Carlos met with noted American ufologist J. Allen Hynek, who was in Mexico City on business. The two talked for a while, and at the conclusion of the interview, Hynek asked Carlos to join him for breakfast at his hotel the next morning. Carlos awoke early and left the house at 6 o'clock. He first stopped at the Mexicana Airlines office where he had applied for a job as a pilot, then proceeded to the hotel. After parking his car, he walked to the building and started up the steps. Suddenly, he found himself confronting an unpleasantly familiar figure, one of the strange men who had threatened him a month earlier. You were already warned once, the stranger said coldly. You are not to talk about your experience. And Carlos protested. All I did was accept an invitation. Dr. Hynek wants to know what I saw, and I thought that maybe I could understand it better myself if I talked with him. The man responded by shoving Carlos back several feet. Look, I don't want you to make problems for yourself, he said. And why did you leave your house at 6 this morning? Do you work for Mexicana Airlines? Get out of here and don't come back. Needless to say, Carlos did not show up for his breakfast with Heineck. So, second, now first you had the men in black first showed up, warned him. The old man shows up, real nice to him. Then men in black show up again. They don't want him to talk to J. Allen Heineck. What the hell's going on here, folks? What the hell's going on here? Anyway, continuing here. It says that was the last. That was Carlos de los Santos's last run-in with the Men in Black. Since then, he has discussed his UFO experience freely, but he has no troubles of any kind in 1977. Or, excuse me, he has no troubles of any kind in 1977. In an interview with Richard Haynes and myself, Carlos recalled that the sinister strangers were very strange. They were huge, taller than Mexicans are, and they were so white. But the strangest thing of all is that all the while. They were in my presence. I never saw them blink. If the men in black were gone, the peculiar old man remained very much a part of Carlos's life. The old man appeared several times on Carlos's street, showing up at odd hours, once as late as 10 p.m. He discussed scientific matters mostly, but on one occasion, he made a puzzling reference to the young man's unhappy personal situa situation. Carlos had always wanted to be an airline pilot, but the publicity associated with his UFO sighting had a devastating effect on his, un on his employment prospects. No one wanted him. He was a crackpot, an unreliable pilot. After all, he claimed he'd seen UFOs, hadn't he? Never mind, of course, that radar personnel had confirmed the detail of his report. That didn't matter. Carlos was understandably depressed about this, but had never mentioned any of it to the old man. So he was rather taken aback when the stranger asked, You have been having bad times recently, no? When Carlos said that was true, the old man went on, you'll have worse times to come. Then he added almost as an aside, but we're looking after you. Now let's just stop here. <laughs> we're looking at, the guy says, the old guy says, we're looking after you. The old guy says, this story is just so far out there. It's so strange. But you know what? I believe all of this. I mean, first of all, I definitely have no, I mean, I think all of us need to accept the reality that the flying saucers most certainly uh, escorting his plane. I mean, you had the radar evidence to back it up. So that's most certainly true. Why would this guy make all these other things up? The men in black and the old guy. But anyway, when he said this, when the old guy says, but we're looking after you, Carlos asked him, what do you mean? Uh, but the old man evaded the question and talked about another subject. Carlos never found out who the we were or are. Uh, so again, it's extremely strange. Sometime later, Carlos was scheduled to appear on a television show for another interview about his sighting. As he was getting out of his car to go to the television studio, he was astonished to see the old man leaning against a tree. You are going to see 
uh, they didn't say the name here, whoever this person was that he was going to see. The old man mentioned the name of the television interviewer, a man with something of a reputation as a self-seeker, an individual who uses and occasionally misuses other people for his personal benefit. Watch your step, the old man said. Be careful. Carlos's contacts with the mysterious old man have continued. In the meantime, the young man's personal situation has failed to improve. He still lives with his parents and dreams of being like his father, who scoffs at the idea of UFOs, despite his son's sighting, an airline pilot, an ambition he probably will not realize because of his reputation as an unstable individual who has seen UFOs. Now, there's a lot more to this article here, as and there are other articles in this, but I'm not going to get into all of this because, again, this is something that you really should, if you want to really dive into this story, I mean, check out the link that will be included in the description here and check out this PDF. I mean, it is absolutely loaded. You'll see diagrams, you'll, there are multiple articles about this. It's a fascinating story. Uh, it's it, You have to wonder now, is, is the old man, is, is he mixed up with the men in black or is it, uh, or is that the... Uh, uh, is, it, is, it, is it a good cop, bad cop kind of situation going on there? I, who knows? It's all, all we could do is speculate. None of us, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to get the answers to a lot of these things. Uh, but this is probably one of the best UFO stories out there. I mean, it, it doesn't get, it has everything. I mean, it has the, the, the radar corroboration, it has the incredible event itself, the flying saucers, right? The radar corroboration, the men in black, the old man. I mean, the only thing it doesn't have is he didn't see actual humanoids unless you want to, maybe perhaps the men in black themselves were humanoids or aliens or whatever. Uh, we just don't know about that, but it has everything, everything, uh, but the corroboration with the radar really to me sets this story apart because that to me it happened i mean it happened even the people in the radar tower could not explain uh what happened they said that this these objects were flying and 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 making moves that we we just don't have the ability to to accomplish with our aircraft so again i highly recommend to check this out if you get a chance uh this is one of the best most interesting stories uh ufo stories out there and uh I, I absolutely love it. Um, anyway, until next time.